Good morning. One thing that encourages me is that the women and men on our elder board, our session, really desire to be spiritual leaders for the congregation. That the business of the church is first and foremost to draw us closer to Jesus and become better equipped to serve him. Toward that end, we always begin our monthly session meetings with a half an hour of Bible study and prayer so that that same spirit of surrender to Christ would carry forward into our deliberations and decisions. At our meeting this last Wednesday, we reflected and prayed over one verse, one simple but powerful statement from Jesus that comes to us from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So here's the main point for today's message. If you really get what I'm saying, then you can kind of go back to checking your Twitter feed or playing Sudoku on your phone while pretending to listen. But here's the main point. We are children of God when we display the character of our Father. We are children of God when we display the character of our Father. Well, what do I mean by that? This past week I had a number of people tell me that they are not really looking forward to Thanksgiving this year. Oh, they're looking forward to the food, I mean the turkey, the stuffing, the pumpkin pie, but they're not all that excited about getting together with their extended families because they anticipate there's going to be some tension and some arguments over the election. Families at odds over politics. And if you add that layer of stress on top of the already pre-existing you know, issues that normally pop up at family gatherings, you know, the tension might be pretty high. People kind of walking on eggshells, being very careful with their words because they don't want to set off Uncle Larry or Cousin Gwen. One person stopped me in the hallway last Sunday and told me that certain members of his extended family were going to skip their normal Thanksgiving gathering altogether because they were too upset over the election. And I just thought, gosh, isn't that sad that the election would split up families? That just doesn't seem right. Well, what about our family, the family of God? The election has certainly caused a lot of tension within the Christian family, not just nationally, but right here in our own family, the PCNP and New Community Church family. What splits us up? What causes people to separate? What issues and opinions kind of lead us to nurse hurt feelings or bruised egos? There are people skipping our family gatherings, our Sunday worship, just like some are skipping their biological families at Thanksgiving. They're upset about something. So there are people who don't show up for worship because of issue X, Y, or Z. It's the same attitude, really, as the Thanksgiving families. And that's a shame, because one of the cornerstone values of the body of Christ should be our ability to move past the human issues that so often divide us and separate people in the secular world. Move beyond those issues because of our greater loyalty and, and commitment to our Savior. You know, the original first century church was born into a very divided and hostile, culturally hostile environment. The, the animosity and the antagonism between Jews and non-Jews, the Gentiles, was extreme. And it was fueled by generations of hatred. The, the racial, cultural hatred was deeply institutionalized and built into their moral and even their legal codes. You just didn't cross that line to fraternize with the enemy. And on top of that racial and cultural divide were the economic divisions between the wealthy and the poor, 
between those who were free citizens and those who were you know, indentured slaves, the power gap between men and women, the ruthless oppression carried out by the dictatorial Roman government and the military, all those things created division and hostility that was ten times greater than what we might experience in our world today. And yet the apostles preached of a new society in Jesus based on love for Jesus that that would then supersede all those other things that divide. So it was amazing that when the churches gathered in homes in their house churches, sitting in the same room would be Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, men and women, slave and free, in the same room for the very first time, touching elbows. People who wouldn't normally spit on you if your hair was on fire. But that was before Christ, and now you're in the same room. So they had to figure it out, figure out how to be this new thing called the body of Christ. Had to figure out how to lay aside their old ways of thinking and the issues that used to divide them so that they could live out Christ's vision of a reconciled community called the church. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter four, or chapter 2, verse 14. For Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Into this confused culture of people divided up by race and economics and all the rest, the followers of Jesus were supposed to live a different way, show a different way to live and be a truly countercultural movement that reflected the very character and nature of Christ himself. Peacemakers called to be children of God. Let me keep reading in Ephesians 2 because Paul explains this so well. Going on in verse 15, he says, His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them, meaning the Jews and the Gentiles, both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and to those who were very near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And so consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Jesus is the chief cornerstone. In him, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by our spirit, by his spirit. Isn't that awesome? That's our calling too. Maybe now more than ever, this will be one of the best ways for the church to give witness to Christ. One of the most effective ways as we do what Jesus called us to do, love one another. So I want to challenge you this morning to take a risk and kind of ratchet up your commitment to really being the body of Christ in the months ahead to really pursue this kind of deep, radical commitment to Christ that then leads to a deep, radical commitment to everyone, everybody in the body of Christ, no matter what earthly divisions might separate. Folks, if we in the church, if we can't model this, then there is no hope for our nation. We have to ramp up our commitment to actually live like Christ wants us to live. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We are the children of God when we reflect the character of our Father. There is so much strife right now. 
this election continues to reveal a lot of ugliness in our culture across the entire political spectrum. This week on the same day I saw two different news stories that show how deep the spirit of hatred runs in our nation. The first was about the CEO of a cybersecurity company in San Francisco who posted on his social media that he was going to buy a sniper rifle, go to Washington, D.C., and shoot President-elect Trump. I mean, that caused a tremendous immediate uproar. And later he tried to walk it back and said, hey, I was only joking. But everybody with a fifth-grade education knows you can't make jokes about shooting a president. That's just not something anybody can joke about. His board of directors immediately suspended him, reported him to the Secret Service, and so then he resigned. He lost the company that he founded over a very stupid decision. And then there was a story about a West Virginia civic official who posted on her social media a, a terribly ugly, racist comment about Michelle Obama. And then she also tried to walk it back after the ensuing uproar. But it was so vile, it was so unacceptable no excuse whatsoever, and she lost her job too. I mean, you just can't fix stupid. So there is so much ugliness and venom out there by people who have never had any personal contact with any of the people that they demonize or hate so bitterly. The only contact they have is through the media. And so much of what is going on in our nation is stoked by what people see and hear and read through social media and traditional media. That's what seems to be shaping our national mood more than anything else, certainly more than the message of peace through Jesus Christ. We live in an increasingly negative culture. We are quickly becoming a nation of cynics and skeptics. This week we've seen student protests and other rallies across the country, most of them peaceful, but some term violent like in Portland, Oregon. And I'm kind of actually surprised that more people aren't out there protesting something not just necessarily the election, but just protesting something. I mean, think of the millions upon millions of dollars each political party spent over the last few months demonizing their opponent, painting a picture of the worst possible scenarios for America if their opponent is elected, stroking fear and fanning the flames of division, scrutinizing every personal detail, putting a negative spin on every perceived flaw, portraying both candidates as, as monsters and fiends and psychopaths. And people soak all that stuff in. You can't help but soak some of that ugliness in because it's like the ocean that we swim in every day. Some folks are able to filter out you know, the propaganda, but vast numbers of people cannot. And so then the day after the election, you can't just flip a switch and expect all that ginned up fear and anger and panic and alarm to disappear. Simply go away. Any calls for unity are drowned out by the echoes of all that previous hostility. And then if you add all the stress points that are just part of normal life, like a sickness, the loss of a job, marriage problems, money problems, just raising a family or just getting through the week, I'm actually surprised there aren't more riots, that more people kind of haven't reached their boiling point. As followers of Jesus, we have to come against this culture of negativity. The cynics and the skeptics, regardless of political affiliation, cannot be allowed to set the tone for our nation's future. It is so easy to be negative, so easy to be dragged down with all the discouraging and depressing, depressing information and chatter that just flood our minds and overwhelm us. Have you felt it? 
your own heart kind of being pulled into that black hole of cynicism? You have to rebuke that in your own soul. You have to come against that spirit of discouragement. I believe Christians have a huge opportunity to be countercultural missionaries in this dark day by demonstrating the positive power of the gospel in their lives and in how we treat others. With our eyes fixed on Christ, we can maintain a positive life and witness even in the face of this rampant negativity. So here's what I think we all should do if we want to be peacemakers for Christ in the days ahead. First of all, do a self-check. Do a self-check. When I used to live in Pennsylvania, I used to do some pheasant hunting. I had a friend who was a large animal vet, and he got permission for us to hunt on a lot of the large Amish farms. And the first thing you do when you come home from a day after stomping through the woods and the fields is to do a self-check. You have to see if you picked up any ticks. And so you strip all the way down, and you check everywhere because ticks are pretty tricky and sometimes very hard to find. We need to do that same kind of self-examination when it comes to our own attitudes and our own emotions. How much have you allowed cynicism and skepticism to attach itself to you, to your mind and to your heart? Is there a bitterness that's latched on to you, gotten under your skin? Is there a dark cloud, a sour spirit, a, a hypercritical attitude that infects your relationships, a, a negativity that poisons your thoughts? Are you angry all the time? Are you short with people, more impatient, more on edge? Is, is cynicism kind of eating away at your soul? If so, you need to recognize what's going on inside of you and pray for the Lord's strength to come against it in Jesus' name. The Apostle Paul writes a great verse, Philippians 2.14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you become blameless and pure children of God. There's that phrase again, children of God who reflect the character of their father. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then will you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Why did Paul have to write those words? Because there were a lot of people in the early church who were grumbling and complaining. Paul faced a steady stream of negativity from people who were imperfect and who struggled with cynicism and skepticism way back then. We haven't changed much. Same issues and the same solutions. And so in our context, in our warped and crooked generation, we too can shine like stars in the sky, but not if we're just as toxic as the culture we live in. Do a self-check. Second, reject anything that resembles an us-versus-them mentality. That doesn't mean turning a blind eye to the real issues that are out there. It has to do with the way we approach people in dealing with those issues. You know, Jesus was honest about truth. He, he spoke confidently to those who challenged God's truth with their hypocrisy, with their legalism, yet he did so without mocking or belittling anyone. He didn't post open letters on the town gates and publicly ridicule those who questioned him. He met them with scripture and self-control. Any embarrassment they felt uh, came from getting caught with their own foot in their own mouth, not from Jesus mocking them or whipping up the crowds against them. To me, the best strategy when dealing with people with whom you disagree is to follow the wisdom of Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, 
and then to be understood. We have such a tendency to rush in with our own opinions, to get our two cents in. But I have never seen anyone change their minds about anything when they're confronted with a caustic conversation or with a pointed finger. I mean, does that work on you? Of course not. Somebody badgering you with their opinion? Of course not. So why do it to someone else? It doesn't work, and usually it makes things worse. People will never listen to you or trust you unless they sense that you are really willing to listen, to really listen to them and make an effort to understand them. Otherwise, you just come off as angry or defensive. Internally, each of us is saying, unless you understand me, I will not be influenced by your opinions or your advice. So you got to get past your need to be right. you got to get past your own need to win an argument, your own need to hear yourself talk or to defend your cause, whatever that might be. If you really want to be a peacemaker who is a child of God, listen. Listen to people. Seek first to understand. It doesn't mean you agree with everything that's said, but you don't have to fire back. Your ability to listen empathetically is key to building bridges of peace in Christ's name. And finally, focus on what is good. Intentionally, focus on what is good. No one ever drifts into a better life. To not go negative, you have to intentionally be positive. You have to build positive habits, positive thoughts, positive actions, and put positive people into your life. Philippians 4.8, Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. If you want to be God's peacemaker, if you want to reflect the character of the Father, you have to grow peace in your own heart. Instead of focusing on the things you think should change in others, you've got to get busy on yourself. Get busy on yourself. Take control of your thought life and put your focus on Jesus and on his word. Fill your tank with scripture and the positive promises of God. You have to offset all this negativity stuff, all that flows into your life, by intentionally soaking in the goodness of God. That means being in God's Word daily. It means praying and meditating before the Lord to fill your mind with Him and the goodness of the Gospel. When we become subtle cynics, our ability to grow becomes stunted. If we take our eyes off Jesus and we focus only on the evil of this world, then little by little the layers of negativity just kind of harden around our hearts and our love for God and our love for others will grow cold. So you got to get serious about being positive with the word of God and his promises. Be with God's positive people. Get into one of our many small groups because a good small group can often feel like an oasis in the middle of a very dry desert. Being with God's positive people helps you see that you're not alone in your struggles, that God comes to you through your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's often how he works, is through the community. But if you're not with God's positive people in some way other than just a worship service, that source of growth and encouragement isn't open to you. It is easy to become discouraged and negative when you feel alone. But it takes an intentional effort to become part of the encouraged. It takes no energy at all to be discouraged. That happens very naturally, no effort at all. But to be a positive peacemaker, you have to go against the flow. 
intentionally focus on Jesus and his word, intentionally build God's positive people into your life. So again, let me challenge you to take a risk and to ramp things up just a notch in your commitment to Christ and to his body, the church. To be God's peacemakers, we have to live it from the inside out. We have to be at peace with God in our own hearts. And we start there when we first surrender our lives to Christ. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, tells us that those who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. That's how we become children. And as we grow as his children, we need then to reflect his character, reflect his peace within us and around us. This week I read these words from Sarah Young in the devotional book that I use, and they really spoke to me, and I hope they speak to you as well. In the world around you, there are vistas of bright beauty as well as dark, ugly wastelands. When you look at what is noble and loving and true, you are encouraged and strengthened. God created you with a great capacity to enjoy beauty and goodness. Your soul resonates with these blessings and draws strength from them. As you go through your day, you will encounter things that make you cringe, things that are wrong, things that are ugly. Deal with these as you must, but do not let them become your focus. Remember that Christ is with you and listen to him. Hear him saying, there is beauty not only in the visible world, but also in what is unseen. This world in its fallen condition can never satisfy you fully. You yearn for perfection, and I am the fulfillment of that deep longing. I am perfect in every way, yet I am able to stay close to you as you walk through the sin-stained world. So look upon Jesus, and the joy of his presence will shine upon you. Friends, let's be God's children who reflect the character of our Heavenly Father. Let's be peacemakers who are called the children of God. Let's pray. Jesus, you can say things so simply and yet so powerfully. Lord, into this divided, hostile, uncomfortable, cynical, skeptical world, Lord, you have placed us to be your peacemakers, to bring people into a relationship with you as children so that they might believe in you and receive you and begin that step of faith, Lord. But in this journey of faith, we also have to grow up and to become more like you. That means looking at ourselves. It means deciding not to go negative, deciding to build positive things into our lives, deciding to really be a good witness for you. Help us to love one another in a way that this, make the world sit up and take notice. And when they say, see how they love one another, they're seeing you at work within us. And we thank you now. In your name we pray. Amen.